With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment, the definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry, the executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Welcome to another edition of the Crowdmakers. We're here with the legendary Brandon Steiner, founder and president of the Steiner Agency and Collectible Exchange. Welcome to the Crowdmakers, Brandon. Well, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. So then the, the pandemic, obviously lots going on. What have you been doing that would be different than you normally might have done? Is there something you're doing to better yourself? Is there, you always have a book on your nightstand, but what's, what have you been reading specifically? That's a good question. I've been praying a lot more because mm -hmm. I think that, you know, faith and prayer, although um, sometimes you don't always see it. You don't see the progress, but I think everybody getting together and praying a lot more will help. So I'm trying to do my part. Um, I think also what's really important is that I really don't get too caught up in it. If I had the ability to come up with a cure, if I had the ability to change the budget to help people that are not getting paid or business been wiped out, I would be focused on it. So I really try to hone in on what I want to feel like, look like, what I want my business to be like when it's all over. And I just lock my mindset onto that. I, I just don't feel like I can be part of the solution other than staying really positive, keep myself busy. And certainly, you know, doing nice things for people whenever I can, because I think being nice at a time like this, the people are, that are left out is important if everybody can do a little of that. Because there are some people to have no fault of their own are in bad shape. Are you seeing more yeah. of that? Yeah. Are you seeing more of that people being nice to one another in this? Have you noticed no. that yourself? No, no, I haven't noticed that at all. But um, which is unfortunate because everybody's licking their own chops. But the best way to fill yourself is to forget yourself and to really the best way to feel good. Like helping people is not a burden. Mm -hmm. It's a it's literally a it's 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 an opportunity that will lead you to share joy. Indeed. That, that it's going to give you the best feeling of the day. So. You know, when you're feeling a little down, you're feeling like, wow, I can't believe this has happened to me or I'm a little wiped out. It's a good time to stop and, and, and find somebody who probably has a little less than you have and has a lot more to worry about than you do. And you realize you're maybe not in as bad a shape as you think you are. And more importantly, it's a good feeling, you know, even, even though it's a, even a better feeling for the person you're helping. So it's definitely something you want to incorporate as part of your day. I've been doing this for, you know, quite a long time anyway. I just kind of 
you know, made it a little more deliberate on my end. I, I've been doing what I just said for a long time, and it's always a good feeling to get my day started by doing some good. And I always feel like doing good will lead you to doing well. Don't worry about doing well, leading you to doing good, which is what most people think. Well, let me just do it. No. Do as much good as you can, and, and ultimately that stuff does lead you to even doing more well. You know, for me, for me anyway, I, I, you know, I started two new companies. I've got everything to be nervous and worried about. Um, literally, I mean, just those two things in itself in a normal environment is a lot to worry about. But I enjoy that uh, mystery and the unknown and the discomfort of it all. I've learned to like get into it um, as opposed to, you know, fear it. Especially with this virus, I've become like a total underdog. Like, you know, I left Steiner and now I have a new company, uh, Collectible Exchange, and I'm trying to do something completely different to disrupt my business. I'm creating a new version of eBay where people can buy and sell their stuff. And I've always been marketing players. I continue to do that. But, you know, with the virus, everything got turned upside down. But which means I have more time to even hone in on my skills and on my craft. It gives me more time to hone in on, on certain people that I need their help. And I've been taking advantage of it. And uh, it's been fun, you know, building a new business. Um, it's been dramatic. You know, it's been really gut-wrenching at times. You know, you definitely go back. You know, I'm 60 now, so... You know, I go back and I think about my 20s and I just, you know, I scratch my head because there's not that much hair left on my head. And I scratch my head, which I feel dramatically and say, wow, I can't believe what I did back then. And then some of it, I'm like, I definitely don't want to do that again. And then some of it, like, I just need to go back and find a new version of that because that was good. And uh, so it's, exci it's an exciting time uh, because in any way you look at it from a broad stroke is that, there's changes coming. There are changes that have happened. And that gets us out of our comfort zone. You know, we all got to adjust and adapt. And that's what we should be doing all the time anyway, because as human beings, we're capable of that. We're made for this kind of, we're made for these kind of challenges and wars. We are, we're really made for it. Other species on this, on this planet can't, but we can adjust, we can adapt. I think the underlying common denominator is we all need to incorporate a little more sensitivity, empathy, and kindness to our game. And, and also realize, it's funny how all these social and, and all these social reform issues are coming up now. Mm -hmm. You wonder if that it's purposeful about the fact that we all need to start looking at each other a little differently, which is my takeaway. I mean, we could probably spend an hour on, you know, social reform, just, you know, the police, all, all the things. But really the underlying thing that I hope at some point will click in for everyone is that we all kind of have to be, uh, look at everybody a little differently now and hopefully uh, more respectfully. And we all got to be a little kinder to each other. And we also got to be responsible for ourselves and, and, and for our actions. And um, I think that not, not a lot of people necessarily understand the importance of that. Uh, so I'm, 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 that's what I'm feeling like. I, this, these kind of adverse situations, I've been through a few of them now that I'm 60, you know, this other, you know, 911 and different things that happened, you know, growing up with the way I grew up, you know, these are, you know, life is not easy. So you got to decide, like, when you wake up in the morning, like, you know, do you want, is your alarm clock ding-a-ling-a-ling, which is uh, the Mr. Softy truck? Are you going to be soft? Or are you going to be a shark when the waters get rough? Are you going to be able to keep swimming? Because when the waters get rough, the sharks keep swimming. You don't see any sharks coming up the shore when, after a storm. All the weak fish do. So, you know, you got to decide, like, are you going to be a tough-minded, figure-it-out person? Because there is a lot of ways to figure this out. 
but unfortunately it's not going to be doing what you were doing in a lot of cases. You know, it's been fascinating to watch your career evolve from Brandon Steiner, the collectible seller, the hard charging guy making everything happen to now the entrepreneur that really has a softer side and an entrepreneur that wants to bring uh, goodwill to others and have people be kinder to one another. And the philosopher and, and some of the, the kinder, gentler side of you is, is coming forward, which I think is really great. And, and I think that's a, a natural evolution for those who have done well by others. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with your group, you, or you as the entrepreneur, uh, Brandon's been called the king of collectibles for many years, and, and not just the typical signed baseballs and jerseys and stuff. You've invented several categories of the sports collectibles business, including selling stadium-used grounds crew rakes and packaged infield dirt from baseball diamonds around the country. Do you remember when you got the first bug to be involved in this whole industry of memorabilia? Well, one thing I always want to say is, you know, I've really been a serial entrepreneur since I'm 10, and I've always been a, I, I like to think I've always been a kind-hearted person, uh, even when I had nothing necessarily to share. I, I don't know if, I, I think I've been a little more deliberate about it. I think I've definitely been a lot more aggressive about that. But I, I feel like I'm still the same kid that I was 40 years ago. Um, I have a little more influence. I have a lot of interesting people that I'm able to get connected to, to, to drive home some of the messages. But, and I think it's just important, you know, I think, you know, when you get a little successful and you have a little money, all it really does is dramatize who you really are. It always surprised me like, to see an athlete sign a hundred million dollar contract and he's an asshole. And how could this guy sign a hundred million dollar contract? He's such an asshole. I'm like, he was an asshole before he signed the contract. Trust me. This just magnified it. Oh. As I've learned, but you know, I got the bug probably. I never thought I was going to be in the collectible, even the sports business, because there's no, no such thing when I was a kid. But you know, probably my Thurman Munson, probably my Thurman Munson autograph uh, was really the bug that got me rolling. And then, you know, I just saw the opportunity of all these things that I wanted that I couldn't get, and I figured if there was a way to figure out how to go get it. You know, I'd love to be wearing those cleats at that. My favorite player at the time was Tom Tresh. Like, I wonder if I could ever get those kind of cleats. I want to wear what he wears. And there's just no way to get it. And then I started replicating jerseys, photos, and all kinds of products. And that's what really got me going. Um, I put the little kid inside me and, and started producing product that the little kid inside me I know would enjoy. It's a great philosophy. Now, it, taking you through your career, there's some points in which you really were very groundbreaking. You, you actually convinced the Yankees to change out the bases several times a game. In fact, if I, as I read it right, the bases were only bought twice a year, and they kept painting the bases before you came along, and you convinced Scott Krug at the time that this would be a good idea. Uh, and you essentially changed their culture. You changed the Yankees' culture. How long did it take for you to make that sale? Take us through the conversation. I mean, I, I would – First of all, the Yankee culture was pretty damn good and way before I ever jumped into this pile. I mean, they have incredible culture, incredible brand. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to play one little spoke on the wheel. I mean, and, and, and it's an important thing to say because it's so much fun when you do work with a, uh, an organization like the Yankees, for example, that has, you know, an intense culture, takes everything what they're doing seriously, starting with their fans. And then moving over to obviously a great quality on the field. But I can't emphasize enough that you got to work with people that really care about the most important stuff, which is in the Yankees case, their fans and then putting a good product on the field. So when I went to them, they're like, I can see why a fan maybe would want that. 
but we're not getting in the way of the game, right? There's just no way we're going to start altering things in the middle of a game. So, you know, I explained to them why it would be no big deal to do that. I, I think Scott Krug probably, uh, many times, the button on the mute, the mute button on his phone was probably worn down because he put the mute button. He goes, oh, God, what's this guy now coming to me with now? And how the hell am I going to do this? But he was pretty open-minded. Like, he definitely was a uh, – which it always helps, you know, you need a partner in crime. And I, I feel like Randy Levine and Scott Krug, Lantrose, Marty, I mean, you got to get the feel for the organization, how they operate. And, and some things happen really quickly. You know, I asked for dirt. They started laughing at me like, this guy wants dirt. Yeah, I guess we could put that in the contract. They were laughing. I'm like, no, seriously, I'm going to sell a lot of dirt. But, you know, with the things like the bases and lineup cards and certain things, you know, was, wasn't like, oh, okay, no problem. But, you know, we worked through, we talked through it. What I loved about the Yankees also is that there were some no's. It wasn't like you could do whatever you want. They're, they're pretty bullish about their process and procedure. But we could go back to things. When I came up with a more compelling story, and that's what I want to uh, – the message I want to send to anybody listening is, like, just because you get a no, I mean, sometimes you just got to change your story. Some people need to see things differently. You know, the Yankees, I think they heard me, but, you know, I needed to explain the process and procedure, which is probably the issue. I think they got what I was trying to do, but they're like process, procedure, like how are we going to order all those bases and how are they going to come off and how are we going to get them to use? You know, that, those kinds of things, you know, when you deal with, especially with a big company, are critical. And then we started messing with the bases, which was another thing nobody told me we could do. I said, we got to alter the base. I wanted to put Yankee Steiner on the base or like, that was the whole thing. That never happened. But we did create a lot more jewel event bases to make the bases different. So it's one thing to go get the bases, which was a good idea. But your first idea is never your best idea. So then we started saying, like, look, imagine if we could go and do a special base for a player that's getting retired for the year. Or imagine we could do a special base for somebody who's about to get their 3,000 hit. So we started doing all these cool bases to differentiate the bases. And that's what really made the bases thing take off. I'm one of those guys, like, you know, I'm pretty relentless. I think the Yankees would probably agree to that. But at the end of the day, like, I'm also thoughtful and strategic because process and procedure, when you deal with a great organization like the Yankees, like, you have to be respectful that they have a way of doing things. You know, all of a sudden just burst in and just because I came, they, you know, I mean, they got a million things going on there. But I think that, you know, it's so important for people to understand that your first idea is not always your best idea. And even if you have a winning idea and it wins, doesn't mean you can't double down. And I think a lot of people fail to double down on a good idea and they let success of an idea get in the way of more success. And me, I've always feel like I've had some success. I feel like there's more success around the bend and I'm not going to stop. And once I start digging and find some gold, I'm not going to stop. Maybe there's more gold underneath the gold or maybe it's something even better than the gold. So, uh, and I, I appreciate the Yankees for having the patience with me really and a lot of other teams, too, for that matter, after the fact, because, you know, I, sometimes people misconstrue that being a pain in the ass. Um, so, you know, I, they, they had a lot of patience with me on, on a bunch of things. And a lot of them, most things worked out, you know, and, and some things were like, no, we're not doing that. We're never doing that, which is fine, you know. So that's how that played out. But it was challenging, you know, when you're working a big, with, with some of these big teams and, and big stadiums, there's a lot going on. You know, you got to find your path. And, and I think sometimes that wears people out. And so you got to have a little bit of, you know, you got to have your nose to the grindstone on these ideas when you work for big companies and you don't get the quick callbacks and you don't get a lot of times quick answers. And it shouldn't deter you. And uh, don't let a bump on the road put you on the side of the road. 
just because there are other things going on when you deal with bigger, better companies that are more important than you. It's like sometimes I have to look in the mirror and go, Brandon, yes, that's a good idea. Yes, that's a no-brainer. But there are other things going on at Yankee Stadium a lot more important than you. And you need to get a grip. And you, you wait for your turn. And when the time's right, I'm sure they'll get to you because they're not in the business. The Yankees are no, no, no good organization in the business of throwing away a good idea. It's just, you know, they're prioritizing all the time. There's a lot going on, right? Sure. And sometimes you know, I'm just kind of giving away my mindset work because I think sometimes people who do come up with good ideas, they get their foot in the door and then they get kind of frustrated because it's not happening as fast or the way they want it to. And it's not about where, how fast, the bottom line, is, is it going to happen or not? Because if it's going to happen, who cares what happens today or next week? It's going to happen. And that's what you should be focused on. Not, oh, it didn't happen now that disrespected me about but no, no just if, if it's if you have a great compelling story and idea then stick with it well or you find out or find out why it's not working yeah <laughs> you pursued Derek Jeter in that very same way if you start way back in 90 yeah. you saw him you saw enormous potential for him back in 96 you finally got a chance to meet him in 98 and then got a three-year deal done two years after that I mean, how much persistence did that take? Tell us about the pursuit of that one I mean, player and why he meant so much to you. I mean, Derek made a lot, meant a lot. Joe Torre was another big one, and St. Louis Mariano, and all those guys that were all different stories in their own right. But listen, Derek Jeter, not to be a genius here, although it wasn't like a no-brainer no at the beginning. I mean, we, you know, he wasn't even going to be the starting shortstop. So uh, I was on the phone with Phil Rizzuto, and he told me, he goes, Brandon, you are, you, you're doing something with this kid. And we were watching a game together, Phil. And, I, and, and I'm like, what kid? He goes, this kid Jeter is the real deal. I said, he's not even supposed to be starting. Tony Fernandez starting. He goes, Brandon, this kid's going right to the Hall of Fame. It's going to be better than me ever than I ever dreamt of being. And that was a big statement for a guy like Phil to say. I mean, that was like, I'm like, whoa. I mean, he just said it the way he said it. It really shook me. So I started taking a more interest in him. And obviously, Derek, you know, had a lot of – the it factor you know he was amazing so I don't think it was all that genius on my part really although you know I try to develop a relationship which is what you want to do with people that you feel like you maybe want to work with I mean I had no idea what was going to happen in 1996 when I started developing the relationship and and certainly didn't have an idea of the role he was going to play and the kind of player he was going to be but you know I, I developed the relationship and, and most importantly try to help him with the things that were important to him which was him getting his foundation started and trying to get some traction with that, which is always really hard at the beginning. So if you want to jump into a relationship and, and work on the hard stuff, which is not what most people think about, they jump into a relationship and think about, you know, the stuff that they need and want. And I let the other stuff kind of roll and, and we were just figuring it out, frankly. We, we built a nice little category with him. Uh, he was a pleasure to work with, very consistent as you could imagine, and uh, a very good partner, a, a, a person that you know, you, 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 it doesn't surprise you. I don't have anything surprising that I could say here because we had a lot of fun. You know, we did a lot of cool things. He made it a lot easier, you know, when you're somebody like him, not only the winning and all the, you know, all the kind of cool things he did on the field, but he was just one of those guys that was easy to photograph, uh, easy to kind of play around with. Even when things were a little bit wobbly, like there was just always stuff. He was just that it factor, that personality. So uh, a really amazing partner, you know, Mariano, Joe Torre, amazing partners also, same thing. They understood how important the stuff we were doing was for the fan. And it's, it's like, it's not a hard thing to think about. Like 
it does, I'm sure that, you know, I, I'm, I'm positive a lot of these guys are like, oh, wow, I get to sign autographs with Brandon Steiner. I'm like, if you've done that before, by the way, it's not that much fun. You know, I mean, it just isn't. Even though you're getting paid, I'm sure we all would have loved to get paid to sign our name. It's, after a while, it does get a little – but they knew that's part of the deal. Like, that's part of the whole fan experience and brand connection. And that's what – it's, like, not surprising that, you know, the Mariano, Jeter, Tori, you know, they go right through all of fame because they understood their brand. They understood their connection with the fans. They understood – and all of them, part of the money always went to their foundations, safe at home. Mariano Vera Foundation. So, like, what a coincidence, you know? It's like you do good, and that leads you to doing well. Again, you know, it's like you do the, all the good stuff for the right reasons, and it leads you to doing well. I'm not saying that autograph signing is anything more than what it is, but you can understand the character behind a lot of players when you see. And I urge people to focus on doing good in any way you can. It doesn't have to be astronomical, but it'll lead you to doing well. We'll be back for the second half right after this. Hi, this is Bill Gertine. I've been training the ticket sales departments of sports and entertainment for almost 20 years, and I love what I do. But everywhere I went, the story was always the same. We loved what you did. You got us fired up. But after a while, we kind of lost the spark, and we went back to the same old, same old. Well, not anymore. ISBI 360 is the first and only digital training network created exclusively for the specific long-term career needs of sports and entertainment professionals. Our seven different unique certification programs include the fundamentals of success in the industry like ticket sales, sponsorships, social media, customer service, and leadership, all trained by industry experts like Brett Zalaski, Debbie Nolan, Misha Sher, and Seth Rabinowitz. ISBI 360 uses a unique four-stage learning process, including cutting-edge micro-learning videos, live recorded role plays, live coaching from industry experts, and an ongoing reinforcement program to make sure the learning sticks and forms the habits that your people need to grow and excel faster. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com demo. That's isbi360.com demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Check out what's different about ISBI 360 today. Well, in the middle of that, there was a lot of rumblings and forgery and, and some misrepresentation within your industry at that time. And George Steinbrenner, who was one of the more difficult guys for you to convince to move forward on these things, was really concerned about that, as I understand it. He really was very cautious about doing business with you directly. Uh, you did a, a contract with the Yankees directly in 2004, but that was his biggest bugaboo, I understand, that all of that fraud was rampant. How did you eventually convince George to do a deal with you and not somebody else? Well, it's interesting about that whole situation is that most people think of the Yankees, you know, the evil empire and everything, but their main basis when we sat down and were talking was how can we protect our fans? Mm. It wasn't a money grab. And, and by the way, the Yankees are a for-profit organization. I mean, they're entitled to make money. And, and as they should, um, obviously, you know, a big, big brand, big investment. This is, again, one small part of it. But their main focus in the beginning was not like, oh, how can we go turn this around, control it and sell it and make money? It was like we see our fans getting duped. We see our fans getting stuff that's not real. And it doesn't feel right for us to allow that to keep happening. So when I stepped in there, you know, I always say you got to be a solution-based business person. So I went. one of the main factors was not only that, I was going to basically partner up with them and, and came up with a good authentication process. 
Uh, I was working with MLB at the time to put an authentication process in play, which we did. And then I wanted the Yankees to have even a more specific one, which would protect fans. And I, I'd like to think, I mean, you'd probably have to ask them what the, all the factors were, but I know this for sure, that to come up with something that was authentic, that fans knew 20 years from now, if they got a Derek Jeter autograph or item, or a Mariano item or a Pettit item, they knew it was real. I know that was a big part of their thinking. Um, and then, you know, they're smart business people and they want to protect their brand. Uh, so I came in with an idea to do that and I had the ability to execute it, not talk about it and not look at it from 10,000 feet. I was in the trenches at that point already with a lot of their players. So to really tighten things up and get on the same page with them was I think a good idea. And then, you know, we schemed and dreamed. I got to tell you, like, people think I just walked in the Yankee offices and did a deal. That was definitely not the case. Matter of fact, hardly the case. I mean, the, the contract was, I think, 150 pages. I'm not exaggerating. And, and we spent 18 months. This is the thing about the Yankees, like, 18 months going back and forth of all the different details of how this kind of deal could affect players, the league, the, you know, the, the, the fans playing all these things out so when we finally did the deal it's not only important i would say you, 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 you the best way to come the best way to avoid disagreements is to come up with a great agreement and we really spent a lot of time thinking and dreaming all the potential things we could do to make the fan experience with autographs or with off the field stuff with players better and i really thought like i got a lot of weigh in from them and, and they really let me take my imagination go a little crazy too and that's how we ended up doing what I think is a grant. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest deals or biggest things I probably have ever done because it led to selling off the old Yankee stadium and it led to so many different things. And most importantly, it led to so many teams, which I very soon after figured out that it's a monkey sue, monkey see, monkey do business where everybody looks at what the Yankees do. They're like the leader, they do it. And then everybody follows and copies. And, and I can't tell you how many teams we did after that. And then it's a ton of teams that copied our platform, copied what we were doing, not only in the U S but all over the world that copied the, all the things that I was doing and, and or called me up and asked how to do it. So, you know, I'm very grateful for that opportunity and really enjoyed it. It was, it was a grind in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of work to do it right, which, you know, once you get in the middle of it, the responsibility, you know, when you're playing around with a brand like the Yankees and not to mention those players, that, that's not small potatoes here. You don't want to screw that up. So you really have to be on your game, but I'm a huge Yankee fan as I am a bunch of a fan of a bunch of other teams that I got into like Madison square garden, uh, Cowboys, even the Red Sox, the Cubs, you know, I got into it, Syracuse. I mean, I got into it. I got in the deep end of the pool on all this stuff. And now I look around and I see the business really dramatically changed from initiating a lot from that. You know, your, your heart is so into what you do and it shows in the way in which you talk about it. The fact that you're a Yankee fan and a Syracuse fan, all of these stand things. Does your heart ever get in the way of your business mind when it comes to doing these deals? Have you ever found yourself wanting to do a deal so badly that it was really not in your best interest financially and you just let your heart do the talking? Oh, there's no question. I, I think the Yankee deal. I mean, I don't think that from a financial standpoint, I knew right away that that deal was never going to be a groundbreaking on my P&L. You know, anytime you're partnering up with a, a team, a league, players, I mean, you just do the math. I mean, anytime you got like a dining room table full of people that you're splitting shit up with, 
it generally gets kind of tight. But, you know, I knew, you know, the long game, you know, I knew that I got to a point if I'm going to really grow the business. I think if you want to be a business leader in a category, if you're really, and a lot of people say they want to be, but it's amazing how many people don't and don't even try. But if you're leading the category, whatever category you're in, you have to make that category better than when you found it. You have to lead that category somewhere. If you're not, then A, you're never going to be a leader in a category, or B, you're going to pick your head up one day and somebody's going to do that, and then you're going to be done. So you have to figure it out. And to me, like, I knew that this category would never blow up and get scalable until I got the teams and the leagues and got people involved. So to me, like, I knew when I was doing the Yankee Day, I got a lot of pushback from my people because the numbers were going to be tight. We knew we weren't going to make a lot, a lot of money, or in some cases, maybe any money at all. But we knew that the brand play for us was second to none. You know, anytime you can partner up with somebody like the Yankees, put your name next to theirs. And obviously, the proof's in the pudding. It's not only my name, but you look around and, you know, a lot of those people that have been hanging around the ballpark with signage and with sponsorships, those are the companies that are doing well. And not only because of the Yankees, but a big part of it. But I think it's so important. I, I can't emphasize it enough that if you're going to lead, I knew that doing that deal would change the game and get everybody thinking. And it did. You know, players started looking at the category differently. Teams looked at it differently. Leagues looked at it differently. And there's a lot of things happening really fast when all that happens. And some of that I wish I could take back because it's like one thing when you open up, one thing when you open up the door, but you got to be prepared what's about to come through after the door gets open. And the Yankees are, 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 are when you partner with them, it's an opportunity where a lot of doors open and you have to be prepared for what's about to come through the door. I did my best. When I look back on it, I, I feel like maybe I could have done better. Well, I'm not so sure how much better you could have done, but you've done an amazing job, including the deal to sell off the former Yankee Stadium. Really a groundbreaking deal. You paid the city of New York for the rights to do it, just for the rights to be able to put it apart, and another $6 million to actually tear it down and take out all the pieces. And you sold everything. You sold the turnstiles, the seats, even pieces of the concrete in the outfield wall, if I remember right. What was the most surprising thing to you that people were willing to buy? You know, like when you see a commercial that says, don't try this at home, you know, this, you know, that, that, you know, be careful. This is a dangerous act. Don't do it at home. Like, that's what I would say about buying Yankee Stadium. And again, back to your other question about, you know, your heart and ego versus your pocket. Like this was another loving proposition that I had to do that I knew was not going to be, I knew it was going to be complicated. Besides the fact that we got into it, we're getting into a recession with all real estate bust and, you know, disaster. So here I am trying to get people trying to get people to buy all this stuff at a time when you know everybody was hurting so i don't know i mean can you get an aspirin bottle big enough and i mean i i'm so glad i did that project and again i'm very grateful because um you know the yankees could have gone a bunch of different ways on this and i think they respected their old stadium to know that it should be taken apart the right way i mentioned this just because a lot of stadiums i've done i've done a whole bunch of uh, demolition with stadiums, uh, the Garden Giant Stadium, Texas Stadium. Most teams say they want to sell the stuff and then they get the new building up and they just, you know, we got to move on. We don't have time. We can't. Not the Yankees. The Yankees know how important that building was. And you can't move forward into something bigger and better, which is really the new Yankee Stadium, frankly, unless you're grateful and show the respect for what you've had in the past. And, I, and you know, in a subtle spiritual way, I think they understood that way. Because the plan I came to them with was like a four-year plan. Another one of those, like, oh, God, 
what's this guy thinking? <laughs> but they, they, but they supported it and not only supported it, but really worked with me on it to make it happen in the, in the right way. And there's a lot of Yankee fans out there because of what we did are really happy. You know, the way they put that old stadium to bed. And, and I'm very happy the way we did, it, even though it was a grueling grinding four years, because there's so much stuff that we, you know, I, I broke that down hundreds of thousands of pieces. So, you know, it was a lot of money. Um, you know, 18, 19 million is not something that, you know, you just all of a sudden go into your bookkeeper's office and kind of pop out a $19 million check for some old stadium that they're about to demolish. Uh, I had a different vision about it. I'm very grateful for the Yankee fans and baseball fans that saw the vision that I had, got behind it, bought everything up. I, I mean, I don't take that for granted. I mean, but I knew Yankee fans like there's no other, and baseball fans are no other that know that was the most famous, one of the greatest buildings of our time. Some of the things that happened in that building, and I wanted to make sure I paid homage to it all, every bit of it. I want to really suck all the life and share that with thousands and thousands. And I did. If I went back and did it again, would I do it? Yeah, I would do it again. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I don't want anybody to think that that was easy. There's a lot of story to that glory, <laughs> a lot. And uh, a lot of trials and tribulations. Again, I give a lot of credit to the Yankees because they could have just said, Brand, just deal with this. Or they could have just said, I don't, we don't want to deal with this. So they not only said yes, but, you know, it was, wasn't, they, they were active, you know, they're, they're extremely helpful and it wasn't a money grab for them. They knew that it was going to be a break even proposition, blah, blah, blah. But they, they understood it. I mean, a lot of people talk about, you know, doing the right thing. It's a brand play, but then when it comes down, they don't do it. Like that's, that's the point when, um, like, that's the point when I really see like, the real true brand. That, there's, there's a reason why the Yankees are maybe the best brand. And, and same thing like when I got into it with the Cowboys or Notre Dame, when I did that, you know why they're the best brand. It's not by luck. It's not because, oh, it just happened. Sure. It really isn't. And I can't express it enough to people that like, don't just throw the brand word around. Oh yeah, we're building a brand. We're building a culture. You develop a brand and you live a brand. You live and develop a culture. And you don't cross over that line because it's convenient or because it's not convenient because it's not profitable. That's not how it goes. No. Very few teams do that walk and talk. That's great. They just don't. So that's why I love that experience with them, with the Bronx, with the Bronx. I, I just love that because, you know, we got down some, we got to some crosses in the road and, you know, I was like, no, like most, it's just, you got, you know, you got to be there when some of these things happen. Even a big organization like the Yankees could have, there's a lot of things they could have done. And then it's hard to make the right decisions when it doesn't help your bottom line. But the ones that are really serious about their brand and their fans and everything, whether it's a consumer product or, uh, you know, there's a reason why. Yeah. You started two new companies last year, uh, the Steiner Agency and Collectible Exchange. Tell us a little more about both of those and what was the impetus behind them? I mean, you know, the Steiner Agency is, is you know, marketing of players. We've been doing that for 30 years. Um, and, uh, you know, it's marketing players and helping companies grow through the use of sports. And uh, we've been activating athletes to help companies with, you know, advertising, PR, endorsements, now in ownership even, or, or, or advisory roles. The, the collectible exchange is just simple. It's like eBay sucks. 
It's really not that good. And I wanted to create a platform because I put out over 30 million collectibles and I want to create a platform where fans and customers and people that have collected over the years can go to that's safe, that is proprietary, that makes sense. And um, that's what collectible exchange is. You can go on the site and you can go put your stuff up there and sell it safely. We verify, we authenticate, we help or collaborate with you to help you sell your stuff. And uh, we really made it a dynamic website that is helpful and solves a problem for fans. And uh, you'll also be able to buy and collect directly from players. You can go on our site in a matter of a couple of weeks and, and go to specific players' microsites and buy directly from them. That's so it's true. exciting. It's you, get all your UFC, you can get all your UFC collectibles. You'll be getting indie collectibles. There's a whole bunch of platforms that, that we've already partnered up with. So the site's blowing up on a, on a week-to-week basis. That's great. You, it's a unique spelling. So if you wouldn't mind, just let people know how to spell that. Yeah, so to make it simple, just go to CX cxstuff.com or collectible exchange is just one e in the middle of that collectible exchange uh, dot com but if you go to cxstuff.com and by the way i'm giving away my book free any one of my three books wow so go to go to cxstuff.com pick one of my books out you'll get a little bit of you know if you want to hear about the how i built steiner i'm not, obviously i'm not there anymore uh the living on purpose book i just came out with last year which is a great book or the business playbook if you're a want to build a brand, you're in college, just coming out, starting a business. That book's a great book too. That's very kind of you. Now that's the different side that people may not have known about Brandon Steiner, the, the living on purpose. I want to give the subtitle because I think it's, it's valid <laughs> because I really do. Stories about faith, fortune, and fitness that will lead you to an extraordinary life. I mean, you've really done a lot of very extraordinary, almost humanitarian kind of works now. You're, the, the TV show that you have, The Hookup with Brandon Steiner, you connect people in need with famous athletes, which is terrific. Is there any one thing you're doing now that you believe will have a lasting impact? I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't get to make that decision. Um, I, I think the fans and the customers and, and, and the people out there do. I, I kind of stopped thinking and worrying about that. I, I mean, for a while I did because, you know, you want your work to matter. I think when I left Steiner and the hundreds of emails I got from customers and fans and collectors thanking me and really elaborating some of the experience they've had with me over 30 years, you know, you could cry. I could cry right now over it. Hundreds and hundreds of emails, which I never saw coming. So, you know, I'm very grateful. I let them be the decider of how they want that legacy and how, what my name meant to them and hopefully the experiences that I've created or people have even copied and created that made the sports experience better for them. Then, you know, that, that's enough for me. Um, I'm not done. You know, I've got a lot of gas left in the tank. I, I feel like I still haven't had my best day. Um, I'm still having a lot of fun with some of the things we're doing. I'm still wowing fans and wowing people with really good ideas. And there's still a lot of stones yet to be still turned over that uh, people will start to see over these next five, six months that I feel like a kid in a candy store, I feel free again. You know, you build up this big company and, you know, you lose a lot of your creativity. So you're managing all these people, you're managing all these relationships, and it really does cut down your entrepreneurial spirit. And it's just been like a reborn again birth for me to start this new thing, have some fun, I haven't really worked for the money for a long time. Um, and I'm not saying money is not important, you know, this or that, because money is money, but it, it doesn't play a significant role and hasn't for some time. And it's fun for me to even say that from a kid that really had zero money most of my childhood or less than zero, but it really is, it's, you know, money is just overrated. And when you find stuff that you really love doing, and especially when it has a good impact and a positive impact, 
particularly when I get together with players and help their charities, because there's no way I can compete with the amount of impact and, and, and things you could do with a popular player. So a lot of my good work, I, I enjoy getting behind what players are doing and helping them do it. And that's kind of my goal for going forward is, is to work with players that get it, that want to do some good, and let me get behind them and show them the experience and the things I've done so I can show them how to do it. And uh, I'll, live, I'll live with them on their good work and their good word. That's great. As an entrepreneur, is there anything you see teams or venues could learn from what you've done, perhaps even in this window of time, that's so obvious to you that they should be doing, but they just don't do very often? Yeah, I mean, I, I think most of the venues, and that's why their brands are, are somewhat mediocre, is, you know, stop looking at this category as a money grab and as a line item and just as a sponsor opportunity. And look at this thing as a real true connection to your fans and, as, and a significant connection because people remember the magical moments. You know, moments that matter are important to fans. And when you can relive them over and over again through the products and, and collectibles you create, it, it, it's important. And I think a lot of companies now, a lot of teams look at this category as an opportunity for them to make some more money, or a lot of the teams don't even care, and they should. Uh, and it could be a, cr a really creative way to help in all aspects. Like, there's not many areas in the Yankees or, or Notre Dame or Red Sox I didn't touch. It wasn't like I just went, got some uniforms and sold. I'm like, I'm in premium seating. I'm on the, on the TV network. I'm in sponsorships. You know, I'm all over the place in that state. I mean – and it's just hard for me to convey that with a lot of teams and a lot of brands that are have the ability to get into this. So I don't know, man. My mind is, is obviously thinks about all this stuff differently, and I don't feel bad about it anymore. I don't feel guilty about it. I was the weird kid back in the day, and I'm still the weird kid now. I, I don't care. Like, I'm okay with that. Like, call me weird. Yeah. Um, but I, I enjoy I enjoy all the weirdness of, of all the people that come at me with incredible levels of weirdness. And now that I've created this new site, I see brilliance out there of collectors that are far greater than I've ever been. And now I can collaborate with them, which is even more fun than me kind of controlling a big part of the business. Now I've taken, I've created this platform that all these great collectors that maybe don't have a really great platform can utilize and showcase their stuff and not have to worry about getting the word out there about their stuff. I look at myself as a little bit of an Alibaba type of platform. Hmm. I'm going to go build the best platform. That's going to be the easiest platform for fans and for vendors. You worry about your, you worry about doing your thing and I'll worry about making sure the whole world knows about your thing. Wow. Well, let's rapid fire, go through the weird brain of Brandon Steiner on these questions. He's a rapid fire. Just give me the first thing that pops to your mind as we go. The dine-in restaurant you will go to first when the pandemic is lifted. Um, probably Katz's house in the street, First Avenue. Okay. Favorite vacation spot? Uh, Sandy Lane in Barbados or... Um, yeah, I mean, Sandy Lane, Barbados, and there's a, there's a nice little spot in Puerto Rico also that's pretty cool. All the one and only hotels, you know, just, it's expensive, but worth it. Cool. Oh, I, I actually, you know, so I'm going to go to Vancouver Island. Yeah, that's where I'm going. I'm going to Vancouver Island. It ain't crowded. Ain't a lot of people there. It ain't easy to get to, but there's a couple of really cool places that are worth going to on Vancouver Island, yeah. Cool. The TV series that you have binge-watched the most during the pandemic? There's no question. Uh, the Money Heist, number one, and then Nurse Jackie to really just make me laugh and, and, and grateful because obviously she's a little bit of a train wreck. 
And I love that she's able to share, you know, her trials and tribulations of what it means to be an addict. Because I, I don't know if there's ever been a show that details out what it's like to be an addict and what it's like to be around an addict. And you feel like you're living that with her because it isn't pretty, it isn't easy. And I think a lot of people that are dealing with addicts don't really understand it in detail. I think the show really outlines that. And I think it's, that was really beneficial for me that, you know, from a laugh and a learning standpoint. But The Money Heist was, was my favorite uh, binge show. Didn't see that show coming. It was a really scheming and kind of cool show. Cool. Favorite non-New York sports team? Um, well, it's probably an NBA team. And, you know, it was Golden State. You know, now I'm, I'm liking, you know, the Laker Clippers situation. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's NBA. It's WNBA. You know, I love the Phoenix Mercury, I'd say, would be my final answer. Phoenix Mercury, because <laughs> everybody knows I love Don. It's Rossi, my favorite player. And uh, I'll watch, no matter what, I always put on a Phoenix Mercury game when I can get it and watch it. The Holy Grail collectible that you wanted to do a deal for that you haven't been able to convince someone to do. Well, it's, a, it's Barack Obama. You know, I, I feel like such an important, relevant person in the scheme of everything, uh, whether you like this politics or not. Uh, certainly what he represented and, and, and the fact of having a black person win uh, the presidential election is a very big deal in our country. And, and it should not be underplayed by any stretch. And uh, such a critical thing and i would love to do a collectible line with him i'm hoping one day i know as an outreach i mean i'd love to do bruce springsteen too because he's another one that's got incredible fan base that it would would die to have some different more things on in our office around him well if barack or bruce are listening you know where to reach him now so brandon's line is open one last one one bold prediction that you would have for sports in general going forward well um i i think Going to games is going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be really hard for the teams to get fans back uh, in the kind of way that they've, they've gone. I'm not sure without the virus or with the whatever, going back to stadiums in the rabid, insane way will take quite a while. And I think that going to a game without having gambled on some part of it will be an exception. I think that this next six months we'll see more gambling on games because we're home, a little bored and to make that excitement all the way through. Uh, and I, I think that would be very contagious and, and very habitual to the point where you're not going to go to a game or watch a game when I haven't put some kind of bet on it. It's going to be part of like getting a hot dog and beer. Great. We are grateful for your insight today on thank the Crowdmakers. Thank you so much. Brandon Steiner. Brandon, thank you so much for being a guest here on the Crowdmakers. Thanks. I'm on social media. Just hit me up and I'm happy to answer any questions. Go to CX Stuff, get a copy of the book. If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast, and we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep the Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. 
Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru, and the executive producer of The Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertine. Until next time, thanks for listening, and so long for now. This is The Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.